Hi, this is Teresa Kariakis coming to you from the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm on The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaming. Pantheon Podcast presents from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaming. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaming as she brings you The Devil's Music. Hi, I'm Pleasant Gaming, and welcome to The Devil's Music a Pantheon podcast. As the devil himself apparently once said via the Rolling Stones, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a rock and roll witch from Hollywood, California. My obsession with music and the occult started at the age of 12 and is still going strong. During the 70s, I was one of the first punks in Los Angeles. I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go and had a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to writing a rock and roll gossip column in the LA Weekly, which in turn led me to writing for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s through the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've been a professional dancer who's toured around the globe teaching and performing, and you've probably seen me dancing in a number of music videos, feature films, and documentaries. I'm also an actor with several film credits. Find out more about me at PleasantGaming.com. I'm really excited to be a part of the Pantheon podcast network of rock and roll shows. Everyone at Pantheon tells spectacular stories about the music we love so much, each one with a different twist. Find them all at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio.com, Pandora, hell, I just had to say that, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what we're doing here, head on over to PantheonPodcast.com and share a show with a friend, or I'll put a spell on you. Kidding. This is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to The Devil's Music. On this episode, I'm talking to my one of my longest-running friends. He's a punk rock legend, and he's gone on to become a huge um, part of shaping the L.A. punk scene not to, in, the, in the 70s, not to mention the quote-unquote alternative scene going on later. Today, my guest is Bruce Moreland. He's played in Wall of Voodoo, 
the weirdos, the skulls, the controllers, nervous gender, concrete blonde. He appeared in Erg, a music war. He's done so many things with so many bands. He's got a lot of new music that's about to come out with his band Ravensmoreland. Bruce and his brother Chaz burst onto the LA punk scene in 1977, which is when we met. And originally I knew him as Bruce Barf. And sometimes I affectionately think of him that way still. <laughs> Hi, Bruce. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? I am good. Yeah, so, it was my name, Bruce, Bruce Barf back then. It was the, the old mass days. Uh, and um, it's funny because my my um, my uh, mother's maiden name and you know my dad left before I was born, so I never even met the per her person named Moreland. But um, but her maiden name and the guy and my grandfather who basically raised me with my mother, his name was Blank. His, his name was Meyer Blank B L A N K. So it would have been so perfect to have. I could have just used Bruce Blank, but I went with Bruce Barf. <laughs> <laughs> and, and but it kind of fit because I had an eating disorder back then. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, I had an everything disorder. I was psychiatrist, oh, every drugs, everything. <laughs> I think I think most of us in the in the in, in the punk scene in general, let alone the LA uh, punk scene, had a lot of disorders going on. Yeah, not to mention disorderly conduct. But <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was just it was a place for the, the the misfits of society get to to come together. It was, it was so funny that the early punk scene it was nothing like the punk scene became, and that's I think why a lot of people abandoned it and went on to either just do do art or or create new scenes like post punk and stuff like that. Just because it just got so far away from the original thing, it was it was just this, it was like all ages, all races, creeds, colors gays straights uh everything just mixing just them just the miscreants of life that just found themselves in that dungeon at the masks and 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 other parts of la and and uh and just anything went it was so just fun i mean you just talk about music like from black randy and the metro squad you know the to the you know the stuff like the dickies and and the weirdos and the screamers i mean just the the type the the cross genre of music that was going on just incredible dead beats you know just everything yeah the bags there. i mean it was, yeah. it was amazing i know I, I feel like on this podcast that's all i ever talk about is how amazing it was but people don't understand nowadays a lot of people don't understand that when you say punk they immediately think of like hardcore you know like they yeah. you can't tell like how women fit in how anyone who was queer fit in, how all the art yeah. came out of that. I mean, unless they're really scholarly, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what, what, why post-punk started because people, the punks had to do something else because all the jocks took over punk and, and, you know, and, and the, the jocks and, and the, the violent ones, ones just wanted to make it just so straight, so strict, so narrow. And, and, and they, you know, they, took off with it and uh and just left the left those artists and the the this, this eclectic ones you know with, with nothing so they created their their next scene which is post-punk or death rock and stuff like that yeah and those, those scenes were great too i mean those scenes were amazing you know yeah 
and and death rock was for anybody that's listening death rock was what eventually started getting called goth but it used to be yeah, called death rock unfortunately <laughs> we hated that so much well when it was called when they goth, started calling it goth <laughs> but you know what i i um i i had some friends um that were a little bit younger than the than the la punk scene but they used the, all the goth stuff to their advantage because um they they would be living with their parents and um when they'd be wearing like you know women's like black slips and fishnets and stuff yeah. to go out like that their parents i think just without saying anything thought that they were queer so then they could bring they could bring back girls and fuck them in their own that's clever that's that's really using a using a situation to your advantage there um but let's 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 talk about um let's talk a little bit more about the mask and some of the the early gigs because um i know everyone loves to hear this and i love i love rehashing like the the highest and lowest points of what was going on in the hollywood punk scene where were you living you weren't at the canterbury were you, were you? I, I, I was living at the mask. I was living in the um, just on the floor in one of the rooms there. Wow, and, I didn't know I, that. Yeah, I lived at the mask. I was the handyman for the mask. I fixed everything for Brandon and 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 did all the you know cleaning up everything down there. And then and then eventually I did move across the Canterbury because I, I just I just it, it just got too depressing being down in the basement all the time in the in like, the tombs down there in the piss-filled tombs like uh, so, so so eventually i just i had to i had to get you know see, see what get my own place so i you know got a cockroach infested room over at the canterbury did you have roommates there uh well, actually not no not officially no, actually, though, right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was like it was like fifty bucks or something, maybe one hundred fifty dollars. It's so cheap. Yeah, lots of the girls had roommates, though. You know, like when. Yeah, yeah, that was a dangerous place too. A very dangerous place. Yeah, no kidding. I know. I mean, there was like one of the the only. I mean, we were all used to a lot of dangerous places, but I remember the first time I walked in there, and there was like shot needles like littering the carpets just in the normal hallways. I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah, yeah. They had some sort of like black Black Panther security guards or something there that yeah. with guns at the gates and stuff that would like hassle us punks going in and out. Yeah, that was in that was. I mean. I guess, you know, that, I mean, all of that was like the reason why um, all of the punks could move in there because it was already such yeah. a delicious place. Yeah, um, it was dirt cheap. I used to take, uh, I had so many cockroaches, I figured I couldn't kill them anymore. So what I started doing is catching them and painting, painting colors with fingernail polish, different colors and numbering them and, and <laughs> creating racing stripes on them and stuff like that. So I could like, kind of identify, identify them. <laughs> Did you, did you have a statement? What number was you? <laughs> well, I, I I had one the number thirteen in red, so I like that one a lot. <laughs> That's so good! Oh my god, we we had a cockroach at my house, this Graceland, which um Kid Congo and I like moved into in nineteen seventy eight. But 
we had those Hawaiian roaches that are like, oh, like yeah. three or four inches long and like we'd never Huge. seen one before. And, and we were always on acid and we both thought we were hallucinating seeing a roach that big. And then finally someone threw a bottle, like a, a an empty bottle of like the big David Lee Roth size bottle of Jack Daniels had it. And it landed, oh, it, it was a direct hit and it didn't die. I mean, it was- Oh exactly my God. <laughs> the only thing that killed him for me was that was the Aquanet flamethrower. Oh yeah. The, you know, the <laughs> can of Aquanet with a big lighter and, and it would shoot flames like three or four feet. And he's <laughs> just- <laughs> Cockroach napalm. <laughs> yeah. Oh that was the, the Aquanet was so good for so many things back then. It was us. Uh, I know. I always say that, like, I'm sure that a 20 mile square hole in the ozone layer is due to my Aquanet abuse from like the 70s through the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but that's just my own personal area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That stuff was so good. I used to wrap my hair and 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 spray the aquanet net on there and then you just go to sleep at night and then wake up and then you'd have a that flat spot that was like hard like a table on the side of your head from where you slept on the aquanet and then you just have to like reconstitute the more aquanet and pull it pull it back out and to, and hold it there till it dried in place oh yeah i know all of stuff. that and then that like when i used that um in the 80s after i had like like bleached white hair um, I would I would spray it all over like that too, and, and but then uh -huh. use a crimping iron for like my oh, I yeah. call it my Arctic snow monkey look, and you can hear this really satisfying like. I love like that sound. I love I love the sound of hair frying on the crimping iron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing down a note: crimping iron porn. <laughs> Under the numbering cockroaches. No. <laughs> um, so I didn't me. know that you you lived with uh, with um, Kid Congo. Oh yeah, we lived we lived at Disgrace Land for uh, for years, and before Disgrace Land, we lived at a place called Nine Hundred Nine because it was at Nine Hundred Nine Palm in um, West Hollywood. It was yeah. just down the street from from the Orpheum, from that theater where um, you know. Oh, the yeah. Rios and the germs first gig and and the zeros yeah the night before the dam yeah. we were just talking about the dam before we went on the air um <clears throat> yeah yeah i love i love kid yeah and then we lived in new york together on the bowery at christian hoffman from the mumps and bradley field oh yeah i know christian yeah he lives I right know. down the street from me oh really yeah he's got a great house I said yeah. I need to get him on. Oh my god, the fucking six. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, he's he's he he was pretty. He'd be an interesting interview too. He's he's pretty cantankerous these days, but I know was, that's <laughs> funny. That's how everyone describes him. Hi, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to, but before we we start talking about other stuff, I just want to find out like um like sort of what what led you and your brother to to um the mask and to the the punk scene didn't you guys grow up in west covina or somewhere yeah like yeah west covina is that little suburb about you know it's like 15 miles east of downtown la and uh yeah i went grew up out there 
me, my mom and my brother shared one room in my grandparents' house because, you know, we were pretty poor. They all worked at the racetrack, San Anita Racetrack. My I love grandpa, bartender. My grandma was a meat carver. My, my mom served coffee and donuts at the, at the racetrack. So, um, but um, my mom, you know, was kind of an alcohol, was an alcoholic back then too. So it was kind of tough. And, uh, and then, so we, uh, we had a, we had a glitter space band called the Sky People in, in the San Gabriel Valley. We were pretty big. We used to did a lot of shows with, with Van Halen before they got signed. Was this uh, like in uh, like 75 and 76? 74, 75. Yeah. Up until 76. Um, um, played all, you know, all over the place. Uh, did you play at the Four, cabaret uh, with in in, in um, West Hollywood with them? That club, the cabaret. Yeah, well, we played we played uh, as as uh, the Sky People. We played with Van Halen at the Whiskey um, before in nineteen seventy, early seventy six. I don't know if I, I might have been actually. I might have been taking tickets then. And we played with uh, we played with um, God, who else? I Runaways, just a couple of Kemp Valley's bands. Uh, we played with the, yeah, played with the Runaways uh, in '76 as the Sky People. Um, yeah, a few other things, and so. But then, like around 1970, late '76, early '77, uh, Mark, you know, my brother Mark Moreland was a guitar player, and uh, he uh, he he was a guitar player for for all the bands I was in until the Weirdos and Skulls, but. Um, but he decided he was one year older, so he says, "Bruce, we're we're gonna change. We're going from glitter to to punk now." So I go, "Okay, let's do it." <laughs> so we started trying going out to um, answering ads on on oh, not Craig's. I don't know Craig's is the recycler. One of those the recycler. Recycler. So we answered an ad ad in Craig Lee. Uh, it was for Craig Lee. One was doing a band, so we got together with Craig Lee and. Uh, I can't remember her name, Madeline, uh, was a singer for the, uh, for that he had with him. And so we, we did that for a little while, but then, but then, uh, so, something happened with that. We weren't really happy with the direction that was going in. So, um, we just, we did, we kind of abandoned that idea and it started looking to other areas and, uh, and we were also hanging out with the band, the Dogs uh, from Detroit. Oh yeah, the Dogs. Um, yeah, so we were we were we as the Sky people, we played with them a few times, and they loved us. The Sky, they the, we were their favorite band. So so they had a place on Gower and uh, Selma, and they lived next door to Blackie Lawless and Arthur Kane, who were doing a band called Killer Kane at the time. And uh, so they were trying to get Mark to be play the guitar and. and Killer Kane, um, and uh, and 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 my brother started started jamming with them, but he he kind of wanted to get out of that and go into punk too. So, but my we were living in my van, kind of going back and forth from West Covina, and my van broke down in front of the dog's place. So we just ended up living in the van, <laughs> and then one day it got towed away. So, and and just before it got towed away, uh, Lauren from the from the dogs brought us down to meet Brandon. And uh, and uh, and then he says, yeah, come, you know, he knew that I knew how to fix things. So if you want to come down and fix things, you can stay down here, whatever. So after my van got towed, we went down to the mask and me and my brother both lived down there for a while. But my brother got an apartment pretty quick. And uh, but I stayed at the mask. So that was how I kind of ended up there. 
Wow. That is, that is, that, that's, I mean, that, that sounds so of the time, but that, that's a, still a good, a great story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, what about LA now? Jesus. Everyone's like, like, it's, uh, you guys yeah, that aren't in LA, you don't even know. Los Angeles right now and after the pandemic looks like, it looks like, a Mad Max movie, but without the really good costumes and no flying machines and like way more meth and mental illness than you could ever imagine. Everything yeah, is like garbage. Yeah, it's 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 really depressing. It's it's crazy. Danger. It's the most dangerous place I've ever ever see, seen in any of my travels all over the world. L.A. right now is more dangerous than any city I ever went to in any era in the world. Are you now, huh? Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get. Let's take a little break now, and then we'll go back to more fun and fluffy sicker shit. Yeah. So what was like, what was like, um, I want to hear like one of the wildest stories you have from like that, the seventies punk ish time. Um, it doesn't matter <laughs> who, I know where, where do we begin? I should have warned you. I should have pre-warned you about this. <laughs> oh man. There's wow. I guess me, me and Darby stealing a Bentley from at the Chateau Marmont when we were staying there with Rick Wild. we were staying with Wilder who lived, lived there. And uh, what was the, uh, there was the club next door to the, um, like some exclusive restaurant that was there at the Chateau Marmont. And uh, uh, they were, they had uh, all the, you know, valet in front. So we, we uh, took a valet ticket and went and got somebody's Bentley and, and drove off. And we didn't take it for very far, but we left it, you know, probably about a, a mile down the road we i forgot where we went liquor store or something like that but <laughs> left the bentley there <laughs> um um i stole a, ca a car with kid congo um and um crosby who, who has for listeners this was bing crosby's grandson who is not with uh, us anymore but he was so wild um we stole a car um from the Tropicana it was a, it was a brand new Cadillac and we drove all the way up to San Francisco this was when I was um when Levi Dexter was my boyfriend before we got oh, married. yeah we took, Levi, we took yeah. all this speed we we stole a bunch of of champagne um from a market I actually put panties my panties over the license plate because I heard that <laughs> what you did like, <laughs> from like two detectives or something as though that, that was so over. funny and then we were all on tons of speed and we drove it all the way up to San Francisco and then um you know went in and saw the show this was just to go and see Levi's show like I told I told kid when when um he came home from working at Bomb Records. He's like, what are you guys doing? And I was like, we're stealing a car and going to San Francisco. And he, he gave me this hugely dirty look. And he's like, 
you're crazy and went into his room and closed and closed the door and like mm -hmm. 10 or 15 minutes later when i was still like groping through the the couch cushions to see if there was like pennies or dimes in them he came yeah. out with a little bag packed and he's like why are we still here when are we leaving <laughs> <laughs> And then we got into Although the most of the most of the, the really crazy stuff I did I ended up doing with with Darby. Um, I remember we, me and we had a me and Mark had an apartment over uh, behind Famous Amos on uh, by the Rock and Roll Ralphs there. I think it was on Formosa <laughs> Street, and uh, and uh, the you know we got evicted for making too much noise or, or whatever. So we had a last party, and Darby came over, and we just started. He, he, of course, he instigated. We just started kicking all holes in all the walls, and we just kicked it until it was just studs. The whole apartment was studs. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! I met him and and um and Pat Smear, and and when neither one of them were called that, but um, I threw I threw my 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 name and number on a matchbook at them at a Queen concert at the Santa Monica Civic, and they and they caught it. And then the next day, they both called me on my landline. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a that's a that goes on into a very long story. But I've told it a lot before and things. But that's how we met. I just like I couldn't believe what they looked like when they were walking down the aisle, and I was like, I have to know these people. And I just like uh -huh. went there and like you know, if they would have had women in the Dodgers and seen that incident, I would have been in the fucking Dodgers. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um. Anyway. So, so yeah, Darby was always like a total instigator of complete insanity. Completely, yeah. So much. Oh, him and his germs burns. Bruce, let me give you a burn. He's like, no, you already gave me one, Darby. Come on, man. I know. I never <laughs> got one. <laughs> some, some. I got a few, but after after a few, it's like, yeah, enough is enough. I was just like, give it to other people. I'm not gonna get like a star hand <laughs> yeah. for your band. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's take a break. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And here we are again. Um, I, I have I had plenty of punk rock scars, like the one where I fell over the balcony at the Germs apartment when they used to live um, in West Hollywood, like off Hollywood, right. way down the street. After the Devo party at Slash Magazine, it was raining. And of course, I was drunk. I mean, everyone was drunk, but I didn't slip because I was drunk. I slipped because the steps had this crazy, um, like, smooth coating on the concrete. Yeah. And they grabbed yeah. me, and I just went, whoo, and fell down, like, uh, like more than a story. And then yeah. oh, wow. for a second with KK from the Screamers and Fast Freddy over me. And, and they were like, we should bring her to the hospital. And he's like, can you drive? You're sober enough to drive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I broke my, I broke my wrist at the stairs at the, at the whiskey, the stairs going down from the, from the balcony to the stage. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those are dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah. At a, do it at a Skulls concert. And then, and then, uh, and then I had to play that I, that's why I switched to keyboards when I when we did Arthur J and the Gold Cups and I played keyboard in Arthur J and the Gold Cups because I was supposed to play bass but I had a broken hand so that that was my first introduction to keyboards was was Arthur J and the Gold Cups playing with the broken hand yeah <laughs> so I had to play I switched to far piece of organ from the bass that's awesome yeah because it was like less less like everything yeah. around well like um who talk, let's talk about i mean we could we could we could probably have this be a five hour podcast and not not have to you're right you know but um when let's talk about what what was next after um that like wall of voodoo or what yes so it's um right around late 77 um uh it was like you know what i was just saying about the whole punk scene we started seeing the kind of the punk scene changing being more you know just it's be becoming more rigid and, and less arty and so uh we decided to try to do something a little bit different something with keyboards you know we were into craft work and eno and stuff like that so wait so i might say this all of us were in punk rock we didn't have divisions of music and we all loved that kind of Shit. yeah totally so so uh so um you know mark was in the skulls i was in the weirdos and it was i just was on the last you know mark left the skulls to any and he, he found stan ridgeway down at the mask he was in kind of a the model citizens was kind of a more of a funny quirky jokey band um i wasn't so crazy about stan as a singer but i like like the, the kind of music they were you know that they direction they wanted to go in so so at the last tour i did with, with weirdos i just i left the band and and started with 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 that oh and but we, can't wait like, the weirdos were before wall of voodoo what's that the weirdos were before wall of voodoo oh, wait. Yeah. okay um so let's talk about the weirdos first too um because i know people like the like or love the weirdos now still but like 
the weirdos live was just unbelievable. That was like being on acid, even if you didn't take drugs. Yeah. So, yeah, I joined them um, right after they did their first singles, you know, the uh, Life of Crime and the Neutron Bomb. Uh, Dave Trout uh, decided he wanted to uh, dedicate his full time to teaching. He was a teacher, um, which is funny because Cliff Roman's a teacher and went on to be a principal and all that stuff. Um, Wait, Cliff did? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. He's been a teacher for all his, his whole life. <laughs> but a principal. <laughs> and a principal. Yeah. I know after school movie or something punk rock to yeah <laughs> yeah so so uh yeah I mean so I, uh they so Dave left to be that and then they knew about me I was you know you guys Bruce, Bruce Barth of course and then you know and I played with the controllers I played with the skulls some um, um, so, so they asked me to join and I did, and it was great. I mean, it was, it was, it was, they, between them and, and the Screamers was my favorite band in, in LA, but, and, and I couldn't join the Screamers because at that time I wasn't a keyboard player. I was only a, only a bass player. So, so I got to join my favorite band in, in LA at the time, which was so cool for me and, uh, play some just really just amazing shows. It was, that was, that was so fun being in the weirdos at the time just just incredible um uh you know what can i say and you know nikki b what a character you know oh my god i know nikki <laughs> at me um one time at, at um at larchmont hall during um a show when x played that got shut down i'm sure you were there but uh -huh. um, alice bag and i were in the ladies room on one of the fainting couches because they had these like ladies rooms that weren't changed since like the 40s yeah you're totally just drinking southern comfort and making out in there nikki walked in <laughs> and instead of thinking oh hot girl and girl action he got really really mad <laughs> oh yeah yeah me and uh oh, this whole different story me nikki and alice and and whoever i was living with at the canterbury at the time i can't remember who that was exactly Maybe Shannon, but uh, yeah, we did a whole yeah thingy, crazy <laughs> thingy there. I, I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> oh, don't go into it. I, I mean, that that's enough that you even uttered those words. <laughs> um, but wait, okay. So you told me something that that happened to you and the other weirdos um, before we got on the air. You guys wait till you hear this one. <laughs> Some something that you saw on tour, Bruce. Oh, 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 so, okay, so this is tr true story. This is no bullshit. And, and everybody in the band and the manager saw it. We were, it was early in the morning. We were going from, I think San, it was Santa Cruz to San Francisco and we were on old highway one and we were going, we were probably about, I don't know, probably about, uh, it was, you know, cool, a little hazy, foggy, not too bad though. It was pretty cool. We could see, you know, you could see a couple miles and, um, it was early, early in the morning, probably about 10 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, we're going down highway one and off to the right side, there was a big field with some mount like hills or mountains off to the farther off, you know, probably it's a field goes back about two miles and some hills and, and everything. And there were probably some, I think it was like some uh, strawberry orchards or something like that. So, so 
and we sort of driving. We're all hungover. We're all just kind of just half sleeping. So they kicked us out of the, you know, the hotel too early. And then all of a sudden, me and I think maybe Dix were just like kind of looking to the right. And the two of us are just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and we there was Bigfoot. We saw Bigfoot. I mean, I am not kidding you. And then we said it and then everybody turned around and, and it's like, what the fuck? We all, everybody, we all saw it. And, I, and I'm not kidding. It was no, Bigfoot. <laughs> like how tall do you think it was? Like, you know, seven and a half, eight feet tall. Did you stop the, the van or the car? Like we were all so stunned. We just kept driving for a minute and just like, and not even saying a word. We were just like, so like in disbelief. And so, and like in a few minutes later, we just stopped and all this like, everybody just looked at each other. Did you see what I saw? And the other person, did you see what I saw? Did you see what I saw? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was so unbelievable. I mean, you had to like question your own sanity, but we all saw the same thing. Yeah, I totally believe you. I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the weirdest thing that happened to me on tour um, that, that's kind of like that. I mean, I, you know, at first, for anyone in the audience, if you've never been on tour or never been in old school van tours where you just were driving miles and miles, you yeah. saw wild fucking shit all the time. You did, yeah. Um, but so we were, this was probably like 84, um, the Scream and Sirens, um, my band were driving, we were uh -huh. driving through Oklahoma and me and um, my bassist, Laura, always took the night shift um, because we were we were always on speed. <laughs> I don't yeah. know many people knew that, but we liked driving all night and just talking them. Yeah. So it was just a little tiny bit after daybreak, like it was just beginning to get light. And uh -huh. I like I just was looking out the window and it was just like endless, weird, deserty kind of prairie of Oklahoma, you know? Yeah. There was this fucking huge, huge, huge longhorn steer laying upside down on its back with all its legs straight up in the air um burning oh my god but i saw it and i was like i didn't even want to tell it to her because i was like wow maybe i took too much drugs you know what i mean and then yeah and then like we drove a little more and she goes um did you see that and i was like yeah what the fuck was that was that Whoa cattle mutilation or what was it because there was that's some weird shit thing else around it and then we were still driving and we were we were both like grinding our jaws we were so high on speed and then yeah i was like should we should we turn around and she's like mm, no and i just went okay and then we told everybody else about it and they were like you're making it up you're making it up <laughs> but it, it was giant i mean it looked like it looked like later when cattle abductions were really getting described. And yeah. Like it, like it just like must have dropped out of a craft, you know, and it was still on yeah. fire and there was nothing around it. Like that's some fire. crazy shit. Yeah. <laughs> but um, wow. yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, that, that seems pretty paranormal to me. Um, yeah. Did you ever have any, did you ever see any ghosts or anything while you were on the road or just have any weird synchronicities? 
yeah, I mean, I would say definitely some of the hotels we were in were pretty, especially uh, some of the ones I stayed in in England and in Liverpool and stuff like that were very ghostly. And, and I definitely, you know, definitely felt things in there. Uh, I, I can't say I, I you know, the, I, I, I saw anything you know, up close, but but I saw just a lot of weird, spooky stuff happening, uh, especially in Liverpool. This plug, old old hotel called the Averard Hotel. How do you spell it? The Aver Averard A V A R A D D E. I don't. Uh, yeah, probably it probably has an E on the end because it's limey. Yeah, age. Uh huh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know there, there, there's so much weird shit going on all over the place, but let's let's go back to, okay, so the weirdos and then while of voodoo, we, we interrupted talking about that. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's take a musical break to listen to the weirdos or something new. Ravensmoreland. Right. Yeah, we'll listen yeah. to Ravensmoreland. We are back. So, um, so tell me, tell me and everyone listening some wall of voodoo dirt. <laughs> some wall of voodoo dirt. <laughs> oh man. Well, I don't know. Wait, I have to tell you this. Like, I, I me and Stan used to hate each other. And I oh, even... me and Stan hated each other too. Oh, while you were in the band? Yeah. Oh, good. That's I knew I loved him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the, the best Stan, the best, the best time I had in Wall of Voodoo with Stan is when we played with the Damned at in at the Lyceum in London, and it was right uh, right when the Damned kind of were kept coming out with the Black album, and they kind of transitioned from the all you know from from uh, from being an all guitar band um, to having keyboards and stuff like that. But people hadn't really heard that much of that yet. All their, you know, their punk crowd. And so we opened for them at the Lyceum and they see us with our keyboards and they're like, as soon as they see the keyboards, like, what the fuck is that? And they started, you know, throwing shit at the keyboards and stuff like that because they wanted to hear punk rock. And then so we started playing and they're like, booing at first. They got, they, as it went on, they got more into it. But some of the punks in the, in the front row, uh you know still weren't, weren't having any of it but it, but one of them uh loogie while stan was singing right into his mouth <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> just rolling i was so funny i'm like yeah <laughs> gobbing no i mean stan stan was okay but he was he was kind of an asshole he he liked uh he always reminded me of a pri privileged kid with a with a chip on his shoulder that that you know I don't know it's just 
he was, you know, he was from Orange County or whatever the hell he's from, but me and Mark were like poor, poor kids that were, you know, a little more roughneck than he was. And, and, uh, and, uh, uh, I don't know, you know, it, he, he had some good ideas and stuff like that in, in the beginning, but I actually thought he ruined a lot of, the, a lot of the songs rather than added to them. Uh, you know, I think Walla Buddha would have had a better sound, and I always liked the way Walla Buddha sounded once uh, he left. The, I mean, that's the reason I left the band, right? You know, during Mexican radio, that whole album was because um, because I, I just could not work with Stan. He just butted heads. He he liked wanted to take credit for everything that wasn't his, and you know, me and my brother, you know, re- ended up uh, having you know more than a lot more to do with the first couple of records and and sound of wall of voodoo than stan would ever admit to um in fact the first ep that we came out with stan was off with his you know girlfriend and, and you're have on a european vacation while me mark and joan and nini were you know living living on uh bumming money and living on uh top ramen at the uh across in the mask above where Bordner's bar is we had an office up there and that's uh, kind of where we we lived at one little room with a with a hot plate and uh and uh and we wrote most you know the whole first ep while he was out of town and then you know when once he came back we let him kind of kind of infiltrate some of the songs with some of his ideas and stuff like that to make him feel good but but yeah i mean um so i mean it was it was kind of it was kind of like it was kind of cool you know making it wall of voodoo with some like our first show was you know was uh the, with the uh pure hell and and the and the and the cramps at uh and the dead boys for the mask benefit thing and, yeah. and people just went went crazy and loved us and it was it was just so cool uh and it was really you know cool touring the world and putting albums out being signed to irs but those tours killed us man there was the irs the way they used to tour their bands back then with this little budget uh you know it's we we gamble with each other and try to win each other's per, daily per diem of like five dollars so that so that you know we could get that the one whoever wanted could go drink or do something or have actually a decent meal that night the the ones who lost that couldn't do anything that night but it was it was uh it was it was it was pretty it was pretty dark times too and uh and uh you know and i think that and then you know during the whole uh making of the the uh, call of the west album i just had a big falling out with stan i didn't like the direction they were trying to trying to make it more commercialized and i didn't i didn't want to go down that road and i was you know listening to death rock and stuff like that i, I always had a vision of of wall of voodoo sounding a little darker than they were going and and so i left the band and it didn't come back until stan left to go out on his own and and uh and then i you know reformed it with with andy preboy which was a much better version in my eyes yeah so, it was that was the best but, theme that wall of voodoo too i loved it yeah but but it was it got better when another thing was like you know it's by that time i was like getting into heroin and stuff and and uh and uh, you know, so I would, I would get, I would, you know, me and Joan and Nini, and uh, we would, you know, we get strung out. The longer we were in LA, and then when we go out on tour, we'd be kicking for the first three or four weeks of the tour, and it was just being a complete messes. And then, and then, you know, and then we never, you know, we'd go to cities and then go show up at methadone clinics in the morning to, 
in different, you know, whatever cities we could find to, to try to score heroin or, or buy methadone from somebody. And that was kind of, that was kind of our tours. And it was, it, was not, it wasn't real pretty. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Um, when, when the sirens were touring, we started doing this in Canada because we didn't have a, like our record company wasn't paying for, you know, mm-hmm. for anything. Cause it was, it was like, um, enigma and restless and you know but so um we decided we'd buy duty-free booze at the border of canada so we pooled all our money and all our dams but then um Uh we pt barnum did like like we would announce on stage if anyone wanted to come and drink with us in the van we were oh yeah we were making um drinks that we called clown hammers because they were orange like you know (laughs) whatever was available and they had like like a lot of orange crush in Canada and we put a cherry in it for the clown's nose, but they were really stiff drinks because we were just gone the whole time drinking, you know. Um yeah. started out charging like 50 cents a drink, which in the 80s was like, you know, not bad. But um yeah. every, everyone that was coming into the van was like, here, let, let me tip the bartender, let you know, or like you should raise your prices, but you're making these drinks great. So we raised the prices. The fucking like when we were doing like the the um, finances of that Canadian tour after we got on it, like the merch was okay. The clubs, you know, the clubs were paying okay, but that usually went to gas. But the Clown Hammer tour was so far, like in, in the black, it was, you know, like the, the bar. So then we just started doing that everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys were much more savvy than we were. We just, we just suffered. <laughs> Yeah, but you're, you, you're you guys, a gambling thing when you like you did that. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. But we but we were beating each other, so so there was always somebody in the band who had who wasn't eating that night. <laughs> I I always thought okay before we move off this subject, I always I, I remember I got into a fight with Stan um, in an elevator in some loft downtown where there was a big party, and I don't even know if. I don't remember if there was a band playing, but it was like in what is now the arts district, but yeah. we were in the elevator screaming at each other and there was a whole bunch of other people in there too because it was like one of those big open like freight elevators. And I remember calling him, I called him like a goddamn spoiled preppy Republican. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, next. Um, so what do you want to talk about? I wonder, I wonder if that was um, Robert Williams's loft. Because we used to play. It was. Yeah, it was Robert Williams's loft. Because we played there. We played at his loft parties. He paid us in cocaine. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. That, for anyone that's listening, this shit was kind of normal. I can talk about many experiences where, like, my band... Um, like Walla Voodoo or any band um, would get paid in drugs or get, um, you know, even even not band gigs. Like there, there's other things I work for. I'll just say it. I'll just say publications that yeah. <laughs> was the pay was like in Quaaludes or Coke or whatever. Yeah. No, yeah. nobody now knows how insane it was back then. It really was like it, it was like the the wild frontier oh a lot of the old starwood payment would be in in quaaludes from eddie nasrula and, and you know eddie nash and all those people yeah eddie nash no i know i mean um we could go into a 
I'm just going to tell us the listeners before we take a break, you know, all that like Laurel Canyon murders um, um, stuff. That is true. We know because um, they own the Starwood. <laughs> yeah. Which was, yeah, at- no, I, I was there. I was in at the Wonderland house. I, you know, I hung out with those people. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't, I think I didn't go up there. I can't, I, I can't be sure though, but um, unfortunately neither one of us are on Quaaludes or Coke, but um <laughs> <laughs> We're in the glory days. Um, okay, so um, well, you've got new music coming out now. Do you have any other insane stories about about previous bands or or uh, anything? Mm. Like that? Uh God. I mean, yeah. I know I do. I mean, <laughs> the, the problem is 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 that is that having crazy stories. And living crazy stories makes it so you can't remember your crazy stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know there's so many of them. Sometimes I think, I mean, I've written a lot of books, but sometimes I think I should just do like a real full-on memoir. And yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be see, see, every Yeah, everything in my life seems so normal now. So I mean, so I mean, everything I did is so. Every, every crazy thing I did, I mean, you know, I used to shoot dope in downtown LA and, and, and lay, my, lay my bottle cap of dope on top of a dead body from someone who just OD'd down there and, and you know, be drawing up, drawing up off a dead body and passing it around, passing around needles to, to 40, 50 homeless guys in downtown LA and, and shooting dope. And that's the way, you know, I mean, all kinds of crazy, sh- I mean, just, crazy fucking stories and and but it's just it's just what it's just because it's all all so there's so much of it in my life that it just looking back everything just nothing shocks me so I can't look back and say oh this is crazy or this is weird because my whole fucking life was absolutely fucking insane like like PTSD type of insane so so it's so it's really hard to just pinpoint one or two things it's just the whole fucking thing was no i know i know my mine has been so insane like that too that's what i mean like when people are, say to me all the time when are you ever gonna write like a memoir and when i think of like all of it even from childhood like i was like uh-huh. how the fuck can i there's so much stuff here like what do you <laughs> a how yeah. do you sift through it and then b like should you tone it down should you <laughs> yeah but yeah, it's uh, it's so nuts. Um, we're, we're I'm just gonna say this right now. We're both really lucky to be alive. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's it's just crazy. I mean, I you know I did time in prison for you know, all that stuff. I there was a time I did in the in the late '80s and early '90s. I probably ended up doing, you know, probably four four years in in jail. You know, for all the because because they'd lock you up for any kind of drug shit back then. Oh, you mean like so was, out of prison for four years or a four year sentence? I was, yeah, I was, I was, no, all together. I was, I, I had a, uh, about seven or eight shoplifting offenses that they finally, you know, threw the book at me at. And then I had the, you know, you know, uh, uh, dirty needle uh, under the 10 or 11 under the influence charges. And then finally they started get upping the ante and then I started getting possession charges. And that's when I started doing some real time on all that stuff, you know, especially when you're on probation and stuff. But I mean, cause I used to sell heroin downtown LA. I was like, you know, at the time I was like 
you know, probably, you know, I'm 5'11", and at the time I was probably like 129 pounds. I had a giant teardrop tattoo on my eye, and I was, you know, hanging out in downtown LA selling the heroin with bright red fuchsia, or fuchsia hair, you know, just looking like like something from hell. And the cops used to just <laughs> zero in on me. I mean, all, and I was arrested like every other day. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I know. I, I mean, not. I, I mean, yeah, me, then, like, you know, I got hooked up with Bobby Bones, and me and him are like the the dealers to you know half of LA, you know, to all the the music scene and and everything, and you know, used to uh, use a lot with Rob Ritter, and it's just it's you know kind of kind of fucked, you know, just like all the people we lost in in the scene that. Uh, Rob and, and uh, Rob was like the hardest one for me. Rob Ritter. Rob uh, Ritter so much. Yeah, love, in case you guys don't know, we're talking about Rob Ritter from the Gun Club and Forty Five Grave. And yeah, he was a sweetheart. He just, I just loved that guy so much, and and uh, yeah, we had a lot of lot of good times together, and a lot of you know, a lot of bad times together, but. But uh, you know, I love that guy, and and I used to, I used to always warn him. He used to, I used to bring him dope and stuff if 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 I had any extra to give him, and he, and he just puts too much in 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 the spoon at one time. I go, you gotta, you can't just put that much in there and just do it. You don't know where it came from. You don't know how strong it is. And he just wouldn't care, and you just did boom. And I'm like Rob, you can't do that. And eventually, wow. got him. I was like one of the only people I knew that that wasn't doing heroin because um, my older brother had died of an OD yeah. years before. And I was just like, I never, you know, I was never gonna put a needle in my arm for that reason. Yeah, Smoked it a couple of times. And the first time after I did it, I, I was like, I remember being in the shower <laughs> at this grace slam trying to wash off the Johnny Thundersy itching. And then, <laughs> <laughs> And Iris was like yelling pleasant that just doesn't wash off. <laughs> uh, crazy. I know. Like, really, how are we all still here? Or, or, I mean, actually, I think that a lot of the people that are still here are now like, even if we hated each other um, or didn't like each other or some of it back in the day, I think a lot of people now are, are friends just because so many people are lost from those days. Yeah, I see that a lot. I, I do, you know, I see a lot of people just get rid of the whatever petty differences we had at the time. It's, we survived all that and we come to this place, you know, we, we you, people change, they grow. And, and if you've, if you've arrived at this place and you've, you've earned your spot back in here, then, then, you know, it's, 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 it's a good place to be and, and a good place to, to reconnect and be friends again. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause that, that really was such a unique, and that sounds like an understatement time. I mean, anybody oh, that yeah. wasn't there, like just really does not have a handle. Yeah. And I, I tell people too, it's like, what's so much different about now as opposed to, to then is that um you know like back then if you wanted to be in a scene like the punk scene or if you wanted to be in you know the death rock scene or whatever 
it's like you couldn't just go online and research it and then find and then order on Amazon all the, the things you needed to be looked that way and to research it and then I'll just show up at a show and you're that. No, if you want, if you want to be a punk and you weren't a punk, you would go to a punk show not being a punk and you'd get your ass kicked or get ridiculed and, and, and then you go home and step up your game, come back, maybe get ridiculed some more, beat up again until you got your act together. And then by the time you were in the scene, you had earned your right to be in the scene, you know? Yeah, totally. I know. Oh my God. You know what I saw the other day? I, um, that I saw this and I seriously almost, I, I got sick to my stomach. Um, H&M has cramped shirts now. Oh God. I know. I know. I mean, <laughs> it's horrifying. Uh, yeah. I, so I just hope Ivy's making some money off. Of no, it. that's what I wrote when I wrote, I wrote a, I wrote a post on Instagram because I'm a, you know, I'm like an internet using senior citizen. Yeah. Anyway, um, sorry. <laughs> See, I told you there'd be phones ringing when we got. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like it. Um, I wrote that it was an abomination, and the last thing I wrote was, "I hope Ivy's making money on it." And there was so many comments yesterday. I, I, I don't think that she is. Everyone was telling me to go and look at a Facebook post or something. But yeah. 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 All that. I, I mean, I hope she is. I mean, I, I know she's, she's, I know, I know, I know that she's a purist. I know that she's, she's not, she would never sell out. But so I hope whatever's happened to, to make that happen, that she's, she's, uh, she's making some money, good money off of it. And it's what worth, worth it for. Her. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. I think the jury might still be out though, because I didn't look at that Facebook group, but a lot of people were, were saying like they don't think that she is, which is, tragic but oh that'd be horrible i don't yeah. feel like in and out burger and see see like high school kids wearing like circle one germs t-shirts that i that yeah. i know must have come from um hot was it hot topic what's that what's hot the, topic yeah i know my god the first time i went in that store i was just looking at it with my mouth open in amazement because like somebody brought me they're like you have to see this and i was just like staring and i I felt the same dread that I just felt with that, with that, the cramps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was just standing there and I was like looking at all the, like the, the buttons of punk rock buttons that they had in there. And I couldn't believe that this was a store in a mall that was having, I know. I was horrified. And the kid behind the counter said, um, um, would you like to look at some of the badges? And it, it just flew out of my mouth. They said, I don't need those stinking badges. <laughs> <laughs> hell no i know because <laughs> yeah that, pl that place is an abomination yeah i know and it's an abomination <laughs> we should start a punk rock cult church <laughs> yeah just so we can say abomination so, over and over again um well anyway tell tell everybody about about um the new ravens moreland stuff that that may be out by oh, the time that we're hearing this Oh yeah, well, Ravens Ravens Moreland started about, whew, about probably about 18, 19 years ago now. Um, it started, I was actually just again supposed to play bass in this band, and we had a singer and a drummer and a guitar player. And uh, and it wasn't Ravens Moreland, it was it was called something else. And I got this really great studio time with this producer 
set up uh, and, and and he exchanged me for some, for some work I did for him. So just before we are gonna go in there, the singer slash drummer, I didn't know ended up being a Christian and he, it was the early days on like MySpace and he went on the guitar player's MySpace and the guitar player had all this devil worshiping shit on there. So they, it was a big blow up and they quit the big, you know, Haley Chet quit the band. So it was, so I had this great studio time. I had three weeks to go and I had to learn how to sing, write all new songs and play guitar and keyboards within about three and a half weeks. And I, so I did it and I came out with the first album um, which is called Lock Up Your Mothers, uh, and then and then kept going. Did a second album with at this with the same producer um, called uh, Sin as a Soundtrack. And I then that, it did. A, I love that title. That's, that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, because yeah, um, the songs are pretty. It's pretty naughty, uh, which I I love singing naughty songs. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so. So, but it just kept going and, and, and I just kept singing and I can't see my voice is great, very good in the beginning. It's probably not great still, but it's much better than it, it used to be. And, uh, and then I switched from playing bass and singing to play guitar and singing and then added some people along the way. And one of them is uh, Liz Rhodes uh, and who you know, and, uh, and then Christine, uh, uh, well, met, Midnatsky, but I think she goes by a different name um, on musically. But and then also Linda LeSaber, who was in Death Ride '69 and My Life with the Thrill Kill, My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. She's the drummer. She's been the drummer for years now. But, uh, and uh, so yeah, we so we have a new album coming out, um, and I uh, think so they think by far is the best album we've ever done. And Christ, Christine is actually co-singing with me, so I'm no longer just the lead singer and I, I like it much better that way um and so it's it's really cool that the band looks very stylized now the music is 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 really is really cool and and dark and and the production is 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 really good so so I'm really excited about this next record it's gonna be called Black Planet Black a uh, Black Ocean I'm sorry it's um, Black Ocean and the title song, Black Ocean, I, I gave you. These aren't the fully mastered files, but they'll, they're close. Um, so, but they're, they're a, little, a little, you know, taste treat for everybody. It's a sample of what's going to be released in about a month from now. Or, or maybe, maybe like earlier by the time this podcast comes out. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, you guys got to look for that because that is great. Um, yeah. I could, we could. Oh, talk. and we have a DJ night. We do Raven's House. I know you do Bell Book and Candle, and, and we do, we do Raven's House. It's at Footsie's Bar. It's the last Thursday of every month. Footsie's in the Cypress Park over here this um, is on like, Figueroa. It's listening. Yeah. Yeah, that's. And that's me. Me and Liz Rhodes do that DJ. Uh, it, it's like dark, you know, kind of death rock, post punk, glam um you know type stuff all the all the good all the good stuff yeah we could talk forever Bruce but I think we should like we should leave people wanting more although they yeah. in this episode I don't know how I, how how will any other episode or anything else you talk to live up to this interview? <laughs> right. 
Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. God, it was great. It was absolutely fantastic to talk to you. Um, oh, so, so anyway, you guys, how fucking amazing is Bruce Moreland? He, he is just, he's a prince among men. He's a prince among sinners. He's <laughs> All right. If he had a kingdom, you'd move there immediately. Anyway. Yeah. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. All right. See you guys all on the next episode of The Devil's Music. Bye. Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.